Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Happy Tuesday to you, America and beyond. It is never dull. This is my holy week, and I was not going to talk about politics, and there's really only one state in the union that could bring me out to discuss politics on my holy week as an Orthodox Christian, and that would be the apple of America's eye, New York. So with me today... I have Mr. Andrew Giuliani, who is running for governor of New York. He would actually be the youngest governor in New York. Uh, he's a lifelong New Yorker who has been, uh, he was born and raised in Manhattan. He achieved academic all ACC honors at Duke University before graduating in 2009 and then turning professional in golf where he won eight tournaments. And during that time, Andrew interned in finance and real estate at Caprock Capital, Brownstone Investment Group, and Jones Lang LaSalle. In 2016, Andrew volunteered on the Trump campaign and surrogate relations, traveling to the Republican Democrat National Conventions in all three presidential debates. He then joined the Trump administration as Associate Director of the Office of Public Liaison in 2017. This is where it gets important to this race and very interesting. In 2019, he was promoted to Special Assistant to the President. His role consisted of working with high-level business leaders and CEOs to help President Trump and his cabinet secretaries craft policy, specifically including the 2017 tax cuts, the deregulation of businesses of all sizes, and was proud of his work on the Opiate Task Force. In his final year at the White House, Andrew was directly involved with several initiatives that saved millions of American jobs amid the coronavirus pandemic. He collaborated with the Department of Treasury and business leaders to craft the Paycheck Protection Act, or program rather, and worked to vet and shape President Trump's Great American Reopening Committee. Without further ado, Andrew Giuliani, welcome to my show, sir. Thank you for being with us. Monica, thank you very much for having me. And you mentioned before, we'd be the youngest governor in the history of New York. Well, we'd surpass a guy by a couple of months. You might have heard of him, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So we'd be in good company. (laughs) Yes, you would. All right. Well, let's get rolling on this. Tell me why, other than the obvious for me, why are you running for governor? I'm running for governor simply because I see what's happening to my state, a state that leads the country in out-migration, a state that is, honestly, from a crime perspective over the last three years, if you look at bail reform and what it's done to this state, uh, crime has doubled across this state over the last three years. Uh, a state that's the highest tax state in the country. I, I should say we compete with California to be the highest tax state. It's not a good competition to be in. It feels like we're competing with Venezuela, actually. Right. Uh, I think we should probably compete more with the likes of Florida and Texas and Tennessee from that regard. Uh, and also a state that believes in telling uh, Americans what they should do uh, regarding the vaccines, regarding masks and all that. Uh, I find that to be completely unacceptable, un-American, and it's why I decided to run to save this uh, to save this state. I've had a couple of really good role models in my life. You mentioned the gentleman that I work for, Donald J. Trump, for right. years, and I've known for over 25 years. Uh, but there's another guy, another handsome guy named Giuliani, who ran the city uh, pretty darn well in the late 90s and was able to turn around what many called the rotting apple and making it the safest uh, city in the country. Uh, we intend to do that, and I intend to do that with this state. Yeah, you come by it honestly, is what I said as we were waiting for you. Uh, something here's here's one reason why you would have my vote if I if only but one if I if I lived in New York. You ready? Uh, there there's a publication that says that according to a straw poll last summer, uh, you garnered no votes from the state <laughs> Republican leadership. I'm like, hallelujah, <laughs> my kind of candidate. I love it. Uh- You know, Monica, what I could tell you is, and we're in the midst of a primary right now, uh, every single poll that has been done, and I know we got to be weary of polls, but every single independent poll that has been conducted, so a poll not conducted by me or not conducted by any of my opponents, all eight of them have me winning this race, including most 
by double digits. Uh, the exciting thing about this is we just went through a petition process. We had 25,000, over 25,000 New Yorkers sign their, sign their name on the line wanting us to be on the ballot. But what your point you're making is absolutely right. One of the other candidates in the race, Congressman Zeldin, uh, he is an owned politician. He is owned by the party establishment. Uh, what you're going to get in an Andrew Giuliani is somebody who is not owned by anybody, who understands that their bosses is not a party leader or two, but the 19.5 million New Yorkers. And I intend to drain the Albany swamp the way that Donald Trump drained the Washington swamp. Uh, I intend to come in and not tweak things, but bring a wrecking ball to Albany. Yeah, amen to that. So let me ask you something, Andrew. I need you to help me, my audience, and the people in my Twitter space right now. I want to know, I've heard from several New Yorkers already in the past few days who believe, much like many do about the country, that somehow New York is currently, it's a lost cause. Like, and, and I really believe it's because people are demoralized, right? And and I got to be, I got I to gotta tell you, I was shocked to hear that Cuomo, of all people, touting in a church, nevertheless, quote, God is not finished with me yet. And I'm thinking, you're damn right he's not, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking, what about all these dead seniors that we've had, the way he handled I mean, investigations, shrouded in corruption? I mean, it's a mess. Are Do New Yorkers really want that type of leadership moving forward? Well, unfortunately, it's just four governors in a row in New York who have been embroiled in scandal. I mean, remember Elliot Spitzer. It started with Elliot Spitzer and everything that he went through uh, regarding his sex scandal. Uh, we saw it with Patterson, who did not get reelected. He actually did not get removed from office, so maybe he's probably the most legitimate, but would not uh, run for election again. And then we saw what happened with Andrew Cuomo. Right. Uh, obviously, we saw what happened, why he was removed from office. But I would really call it the Al Capone treatment in the sense that he was caught for respective tax evasion when really we look at the 15,000 seniors that died because he signed that executive order. Monica, he signed that executive order while I was in the, working in the White House for President Trump, and he was sending the USS Comfort to give him the space in New York that he needed. But instead, what did he do? He was owned by the lobby and by the businesses who ended up uh, who ended up doing the nursing homes. And right. that's why he ended up signing that executive order. Horrible. Uh, and he played politics over the lives of other New Yorkers. Right. On top of it, he made $5.1 million from a book deal as governor utilizing state resources. Right. This is the same old party politics that we've seen from Albany for the last really 15 years. It, it's really for a lot of the last half century. Uh, aside from Governor Pataki, uh, we've seen corrupt politician out of corrupt politician coming in in Albany. And now with Kathy Hochul, you have a governor who literally the first person she appointed was her lieutenant governor who gets arrested last week, barely six months onto the job for campaign finance fraud. And on top of that, she approves a Buffalo Bill stadium. And, and you can't make this up, Monica. Right. Her husband is profiting from this deal, literally is profiting from the deal that she ends up approving right here. I know this is just typical of Democratic politics, but when is the mainstream media, the leftists, the Pravda media going to wake up and mm. actually report on this stuff? Right. It's honestly one of the reasons why I'm running, and it's one of the main reasons that gets me going every single day, because I just can't have my state like this. I love it. Okay, so you are running on school choice, crime reduction, economic development. Before we get over to our Twitter folks who have got some questions for you already, uh, talk to me about economic development. So I know that, God, out, I mean, how many, over half of your restaurants have left uh, the entire state, right? Uh, you've got a crime wave that's through the roof. We could talk, talk about that in a minute. But how are you going to turn this around? Like, what are your proposals? What are your policy changes with regard to economic development? Well, I think from an economic standpoint, I, I mentioned taxes before. Right. Look, that's going to take legislative and that's going to take utilizing uh, our bully pulpit as governor to work through a state senate and a state assembly. Uh, so that's we're going to start working on that on day one. But what I can deliver as governor on day one is very similar to what Donald Trump was able to, to deliver for the United States of America. And one of the things that I worked on in the White House was actually his regulatory agenda with the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, I'm going to take that same approach to New York. We are one of the most over-regulated states 
in the country. And New Yorkers and Americans really got a good look at it during the pandemic and all the emergency regulations that were put in place, which choked so many of our small businesses, including our restaurants, like you mentioned, Monica. So for me, this is going to be a cutting the red tape agenda from day one. Uh, Donald Trump made the pledge that for every regulation he'd sign into law, he cut two. That number was over eight to one by the time he walked out of office. And, and that was why we saw such great economic revitalization and one of the lowest unemployment rates in the history of the United States of America in the beginning of 2020. I also will make the pledge that for every regulation we sign into law, I will cut two. Excellent. So, uh, okay, let's move over to, uh, to education. I was pleasantly surprised to see that you're talking about school choice, right? That's one of your, that's one of your issues. School choice? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. It's so important all around New York State. It is. So explain to me what your issues with, with that you all have as New Yorkers, because I know what our issues are here, and I know what the left talking points are about school choice. But you guys have school choice all over the place, from, you know, homeschooling to school pods to charter schools. You know, I mean, you yeah. there's a multitude of choices for New Yorkers. So what is the political hang-up? Well, I would look at it this way, right? I want to create a tax voucher program so that way New Yorkers can actually have, we have some of the highest property tax dollars in the country, in our counties in New York. I want to make sure that parents have the option, have the dollars in hand so that way if their public school is not performing for them, they can take those tax dollars and spend it on a parochial school. If they're Jewish, on a yeshiva school or a private school or like you mentioned, a homeschool or a pod. Uh, Because the truth is, what's the best way to make sure that we are raising the standard in New York? It's creating competition. Unfortunately, what we've seen in too many of the public schools in the urban areas in New York, including New York City, Albany, Rochester, Buffalo, is a public school system that is specifically run by the unions without care for how students are performing. And unfortunately, what we see with Democratic politicians in Hochul's most recent budget, she's given over $32 billion to the teachers union. By the way, just for complete perspective on this, New York's budget, $220 billion. We have a million less people than Florida's budget, which is $97 billion. Who's doing it better over here? But back to school choice and specifically what the payout is on this. This is very simple when it comes to the teachers union in New York. Democratic politicians pay this money, pay this $31 billion, $32 billion. So then that way they deliver votes on November 8th for them. Well, the truth is we're creating a parents and students coalition here to make sure that we're standing up, not for the worst teachers. Look, there are a lot of good teachers in there. The teachers union, unfortunately, stands up for the bottom 25% of teachers. I want to make sure that we're standing up for the students, for the parents, and for the best teachers that want to go into work every single day and make sure that they're doing a better job to educate our kids here in New York. But on top of that, I want to double the charter school cap in New York. I've made the pledge that by the end of my first term, we will take the charter school cap, which sits at 460 statewide, and double that to over 1,000. That, again, will create more competition, more choice. That way, parents, yes, parents, will be the primary stakeholders in their children's education. Excellent. So moving over to crime, okay, uh, crime uh, and, uh, and your, no bail, your no bail, no cash bail issues there. So you guys are still currently bicamerally super uh, majority favor of Democrats, correct? Yes, we are two super majorities in both the Assembly and the State Senate, exactly as okay. you said. Okay. Do you see that changing this fall? I do think with a very strong top of the ticket and and Andrew Giuliani, myself, uh, we are going to see uh, some really strong gains. I think both of those supermajorities will cease to exist. They are very slim supermajorities. I think one or two seat supermajorities when it comes to the Assembly and the Senate. So I think both of those supermajorities will cease to, to exist. It'll be very difficult to win the Assembly back. I think there's an outside chance with this red wave that we can actually win the state Senate back. Uh, you know, these gerrymandered lines that came through in right. New York have since been uh, fought in court. We're waiting on actually a decision on this. It shows, again, uh, just how corrupt New York's uh, whole system is because we still don't know. You have congressional candidates that are out there campaigning right now that still don't know what their districts are going to be. I mean, I at least know that we're not changing the lines in New York State but you have all these congressional districts that right. they don't know exactly what their constituency 
is going to be. Uh, anyway, I digress on yeah. this. When it ends up coming to uh, making sure that we're doing everything we possibly can from a crime perspective, from a bail perspective, we need to make sure, and this is what I will do on day one, I will have a meeting with the Speaker of the Assembly and the head of the State Senate and tell them very simply, we have a budget negotiation coming up. My number one priority is making sure that we completely eliminate bail reform because it has caused so many New Yorkers their lives and it's caused their welfare in here in New York. If they do not actually take that off the table, then I will make sure that their top three priorities will not be funded in our budget negotiations. It's as simple as possible. It's the number one thing that any good governor will do for New York, whether they are a Republican or a Democrat, they're going to take an approach that is called the Giuliani playbook. And we need to make sure that the Senate and the state assembly and all New Yorkers understand that this is the number one priority when it comes to a governor. Uh, because the truth is, as important as school is, as important as our mandates are, which are, these are extremely important issues. It's tough to say that it is not the most important issue. When it comes to tax cuts, right. guess what? You need to get to school safely. You need that's to right. get to your job safely where you pay your taxes. You need to get to the restaurant that's not going to allow you in without without identification safely right here. Right. So the most important thing is making sure New Yorkers are safety. And then everything else, nearly as important, comes right after that. Yeah, amen to that. I was telling you a brief story before you joined us about my uh, my my love affair with New York. And I am a singer. Uh, and, I broke, and I cut my teeth in Harlem at the Apollo. And, uh, and I, you know, I rubbed the little tree stump and all that. Uh, and, and just the good old days of how much New York actually shaped my life as an artist, as a young person, uh, you know, hopes and dreams. I mean, it was, it's the melting pot. I mean, it's, it is the lifeblood. At least it has been culturally for this country. So for me personally, I have an attachment to New York and I'm very grieved that I no longer want to visit your state. I'll be very candid with you. And many people don't. Uh, and primarily uh, New York City, right, which is where I've done a lot of business. I've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of experiences with my family during the holidays. You know, I've historically, I have loved the people of New York, solid, hardworking, uh, you know, just very candid. I love the candor of New Yorkers. And so my eyes are on New York because, Andrew, I tell people, and hopefully you are parroting this as you are campaigning, that while politics are, yes, local in theory, now we know from the Democrats' perspective, it is not. It is global. What happens in New York happens to the rest of the country. It happens to the rest of the globe, I think, as we can see with Ukraine. Some people have a hard time making that connection. But would you agree that what happens in New York definitely has a trickle out, trickle over, and trickle down effect to the rest of the nation? Well, call me a typical New Yorker where I think everything runs right through New York, but I would absolutely <laughs> agree with you, Monica, on this one. I mean, look, I mean, this goes back to the Dutch West Indies Company being a trading post on the southern tip of Manhattan here in the 17th century. It goes back to the Erie Canal, really connecting the world to the rest of the United States of America through New York here. So New York has an integral place in the sure. United States of America, whether you love it, whether you hate it, whether you have a connection where you've Right. grown up here like me, where you've lived here and cut your chops here. Yep. Maybe it's just a matter of you watch a Christmas movie every single year that has <laughs> New York in it right, right. there. There right. is a connection that every single American, and I think almost every single member, uh, every single person around the globe has to New York. And, and that's why it's so important. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, and this is a little bit in terms of the inside baseball and what we're looking at, uh, we obviously are expecting a massive red wave coming here on November 8th. It's on me to make sure that that red wave continues here up into New York. I think our race is going to be very similar in looking at the models to two races last year that I think most of your viewers paid close attention to, the Virginia and New Jersey gubernatorial races. Obviously, the Virginia Youngkin won close, and in New Jersey, Chitterelli lost very closely as well. Uh, I really see in looking at this and looking at the fact that those are two blue states, two pretty deep blue states, and how close the Republican came in one and how the Republican won the other one. That's exactly how New York is going to be. And if you detail out, actually, the races in 2021 in New York state, Republicans performed better than expected in 61 of the 62 counties all across New York state. 
We are primed for a red wave here. We can go deeper and deeper into the numbers and the details of this. But what I can sure. tell you is there are more independents and there are more Democrats that are looking and saying, you know what? We need a change in New York and we need it now. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Let's get to some callers. They've been waiting and they're excited to hear from you. So here we go. Moving over to my Twitter spaces. I have got a prodigal. Welcome, sir. What is your question for Andrew? Yeah, I have a, it's a three-part question. Uh, the first would be, uh, what are you going to do in regards to the number of New York workers that were fired because of the vaccine mandate? Uh, what uh, actions are you going to take to negate any state and local municipalities in regards to mandates and restrictions? As you've seen with Adams, he's kept masks for toddlers. And the last is, uh, are we going to have a thorough investigation of what Cuomo did? And In my opinion, it's criminally negligent homicide. He had you know, a makeshift tent in Central Park. He had the Javits Center. He had a Navy hospital. And he's then infected into nursing homes with body bags. And uh, he was one of only five states to do it, and he kept it longer than everybody else. And the guy made over $5 million from this, and uh, he was celebrated as a hero. So I just, if you can give your thoughts on those three subjects, I'd okay. appreciate it. Well, the first question in terms of the mandates and what I would do, and I've made this pledge on the campaign trail uh, that on day one, and remember, this came right out of the governor's executive chambers in the health department, so this doesn't take, take legislation. On day one, I would repeal whatever mandates are in there for city and state workers, cops, firefighters, or nurses who were celebrated, uh, and so many others. Uh, I would repeal those and make sure that they get their job back on day one with back pay. Uh, I think it's absurd when you look at the fact that we have so many of these cops. I actually did uh, a press conference in front of City Field where the Mets play about a month ago when Mayor Adams uh, ceremoniously said, well, we are lifting the vaccine mandate for our athletes and our performers. Okay, well, guess what? I like watching Aaron Judge play right field for the Yankees, but the truth is, when I call 911, Aaron Judge isn't the one who's picking up the phone. It's our cops, it's our firefighters. We need to stand up for them now, and I will stand up and make sure that we repeal those mandates on day one, and we will get them their job back with back pay. Uh, I forgot the middle point, but I will, I will tell you on Cuomo, uh, I think you make a very good point. I think it probably is criminally negligent homicide. Uh, I always like to be very careful of not promising to go after political opponents. And that's what Cuomo very well may be, a political opponent. I think that's Stalin-esque to be able to, to do that on the campaign trail. What I can tell you is this. I will clean up corruption in Albany. That is the number one thing that I will do. And I will make sure that my team looks back and examines fairly whether or not and this is Republican or Democrat. We're calling this out on the Republican side right now on fraud that we're seeing and the fact that we have two convicted felons that's actually running election integrity for one of my opponents. Think about that. Um, so we're going to look through whether you're Republican or Democrat. If you've done something illegal in this state, you're going to be held account for. Um, so I think that's so important. Now, the second point, for some reason, I forgot. I was so passionate about points one and three. I'll probably be just as passionate for point two. <laughs> But I forgot what point two Prodigal, was. Prodigal, what was point two? Uh, I mean, you sort of addressed it in point one, overriding uh, local municipalities' mandates, yeah. Adams with his toddler masking, et cetera. Right. Well, I, I mean, I look at it this way. As a, as a new father of a four-and-a-half-month-old, I couldn't imagine if she was just a little older and I would have to send her to school with a mask on. Uh, this has gone uh, so beyond the line in terms of uh, political narrative versus the actual science and what we've seen on this. I, I'm frankly concerned uh, the long-term developmental effects that these kids will have. I mean, think about it this way, right? 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? How different is that? You've had House Democrats take their mask on and saying, too tough to communicate with this on the House floor. I mean, if 90% of communication is nonverbal, and I'm Italian, it's kind of 97 percent for italians see cuomo thought it was 99 percent. that's too much it's not 99 percent. 97 percent is okay for italians but anyway not, not to make a joke or make light out of this but but the truth is uh all of those mandates on day one we would repeal from a state level and frankly we would put pressure on any local or city governments that would not do the same because uh i think this is very simply all these should be choices between children, their parents, and themselves, or themselves and their doctor. The state should not be involved in this decision, period, whether right. it's masking or vaccines. 
Okay, Andrew, you're starting to sound a little DeSanta-ish, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> I like it. I you like know, it. Monica, I, I joke around and say that, but it's kind of the truth. At the very end of a long day one, probably around 1130, yeah. uh, I'm going to give Ron a call and I'm going to say, Governor, I love the job you've done down in Florida, <laughs> but I got to tell you, you're not going to get a realtor of the year out of a Governor Giuliani like you did out of Cuomo and de Blasio. That's so right. I'm sorry to tell you. That. That's right. Realtor of the year. I love it. All right. We got a couple more. Uh, let's go to uh, Lisa. Welcome to the Monica Matthews Show. What is your question for Andrew? Hey, thanks, Monica. I really appreciate this. This is a really a great show. So, Andrew, um, I'd, given the fact that in 2016, DJT, he held both the House and the Senate, and we kind of see, you know, what has played out, especially with uh, 2020, the, um, how should I say, uh, lack of voter integrity. I'm gonna have, I, I like a different spin on it because I, I don't want to use the, the same old lingo. The F that, word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the same old lingo that we, you know. You can that, use the F word on my show. I like F-bombs, but yeah. you know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I'm, and, and full disclosure, I, I'm in alignment with your mindset. So, uh, but here's my concern though. So given those facts, right? So you said that, you know, Donald Trump drained the swamp. I'm just going to tell you right now, he did not drain the swamp. I'm just thinking, would you reconsider like characterizing that particular statement? And um, you said that you would do exactly the same thing he would do. So I'm thinking, please tell me you have a different strategy. Well, I think we have a, a little bit of a different altered strategy from election integrity. And, and you know, I, 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 it's another Giuliani I know pretty well who took over the legal team on November 5th and did everything that he could to expose the fraud that happened. I mean, look, I read through over 200 of those affidavits. Uh, and uh, I think if Rudy Giuliani was running the, the legal team and election team from May, I, I think that a lot of that stuff would not have happened. We, we unfortunately lost the election in April and May of 2020, when those state legislatures were able to pass these emergency orders, which made it far easier uh, for, uh, for, for unsolicited voters right there. So look, I would say this, I, I stand by President Trump. I, I think he did a, a very good job in taking the initial steps in draining the Washington swamp. Was the job completed? No, he sure. needed another four years, probably another eight years another eight, in yeah. order to do that. This is something that you know, and, and honestly, look, I've lived my life in politics. It's terrible. I hate career politicians. I hop in the shower and I try to get the filth off and it never comes off. So it's, right. it's, it's a terrible thing to live your life in politics. But the truth is, I've seen the best of it. What I can tell you is this. Uh, he took his best shot at it and he would take his best shot at it again. Uh, I think we all came in there probably, and this is somebody who lived their life in politics, a little bit naive in terms of, we thought maybe more of the Republicans were going to be uh, amenable to our message. We right. didn't realize just how many Republicans were out to get us. And I think, you know, we started realizing that probably more toward the middle of the administration, maybe like 2018 to 2019 or so. Sure. Uh, by then, some damage had been done and we, we started to kind of work through that. And I know the president started to. But I think he would take a very different tact as he was president. I think I've learned a lot from what the president was able to do. And then some of the things that from election integrity standpoint uh, were, were put in place by Democrats and Democrat state legislatures and squishy Republicans in some of these swing states. And I think it will certainly uh, it will certainly allow us to uh, to constructively put together this plan as we look forward to November 8th, 2022. I can tell you we already have somewhat of a plan together on this. I don't want to tell everybody exactly what we're going to do. Sure. I want to lay it out for Democrats, uh, you know, specifically. Uh, but we do have a plan uh, that we've learned from the 1993 mayoral election already to the 2020 election. So what I would say is this. I am proud of the work that President Trump has done and started. I think he has unfinished business and unfinished work to do in order to continue 
to drain that Washington swamp. Yeah, amen to that. And and to further your point and to back up to my earlier point, anyone who anyone your your Republican establishment is going to champion is someone you should absolutely run from. That that's just my humble opinion, right? Because those are the same people who assisted with the heist of 2020. I can say it, it's my show. So that's how I see it. That's how most of my followers see it. Um and so I agree with you. And thank you so much for being candid about the naivete that I think a lot of people have used that as an accusation as if President Trump and his cabinet should have come into the position um, with any other uh, understanding as someone who was not a career politician, a career politico, if you will, and that when you come in, you're thinking, hey, man, like we got a country to rebuild. What are we doing? And we and we say we hold the same R next to our names. And, you know, what are we doing? Only to discover that the majority of the swamp to be quite honest with you, is is made up of Republicans uh, who yeah. understand how to maneuver and careers. So thank you for being candid about that. A couple more callers, and we're going to let you run. I know you've got a busy day, but I've got Suzanne. <laughs> Suzanne, welcome. Monica. Hey there. What's your question for Andrew? Or comment Andrew, or concern? <laughs> uh, well, a constitutional carry in New York State. Um, yeah. Since the citizens are getting run over with crime, I think they should be allowed to protect themselves. Yeah, I would say looking at the SAFE Act, which was passed in New York, um, you know, think about this approach. And this is kind of what the approach that New York politicians have taken over the last 10 years. Uh, They're going after our Second Amendment rights and legal gun owners rights to carry while defunding the police. Now, of all the things that defunding the police is right, we know it's Marxist. It's self-admittedly Marxist by the founders of defunding the police. But what is one of the main things that makes it difficult to do? It makes it difficult to have cops go in to the worst areas in New York and actually get the illegal guns out of the hands of so many of these gangbangers. So they are actually defunding the police, making it easier for gangs to carry while actually putting in something like the SAFE Act in New York, which is making it far more difficult to even get legal gun permits. I mean, we can debate the constitutionality of gun permitting even, but they're making it so impossible to get gun permits that basically we're going to a place where it's going to be very easy for those who end up illegally wanting to carry guns for the wrong reasons, a.k.a. gang members, while it's going to be that much tougher for those who literally are legal, good Second Amendment gun owners in there for the right reasons that understand the U.S. Constitution, making it tougher for them. So I look at that and I, and I say we absolutely need to address that. And that's certainly a priority for me in my first term. Excellent. All right. We've got one more. Uh, we have Abolish Hypocrisy. How are you? Welcome to my show. Thank you, Monica. And um, thank you, Andrew, for, for, for joining this space. Um, you know, I've seen this constant push. Um, by by pretty much one party um, since 2018 to push federal legislation to label uh, people that disagree with their party uh, to call them domestic terrorists, while while specifically uh, and intentionally excluding groups like Antifa and BLM. So my question to you is, as governor, how will you counter this pending legislation um, and the narrative that that essentially allows foot soldiers for one political ideology like Antifa and BLM in in New York? It's a great point. I mean, uh, honestly, and and for me, what I think about specifically, obviously, the media likes to focus on uh, one day from 2021 on January 6th. Uh, What they never focus on, though, is the 274 riots that happened in 2020. Uh, I specifically remember June 1st of 2020. Now, I'll tell you why. I was in the White House that day when Antifa and BLM literally had 28,000 members that were trying to breach the gates of the White House. Now, the media never talks about this. The entire Secret Service detail came in that day. 32 Secret Service officers were injured. Three had to go to the hospital, and one was critical. Thankfully, he lived. But they never end up talking about the fact that if the Secret Service wasn't as good as they were, the White House would have been burnt to a crisp that day. I'll never forget that. And the fact that the media and Democratic politicians want to label Republicans uh, of all stripes. I mean, forget about those 
who actually ended up – we could think about those who actually ended up going into the Capitol on January 6th. But you're even talking about parents of these children who literally uh, – they just want more choice and more options in education, and, and they don't want their, their kids having to learn about sex at five and six and seven years old, and they're labeling them domestic terrorists as well. So for me, we would fight through, we would ultimately push through something like Ron DeSantis has done in H.R. 1557. I think I have that number right, but it's the Parental Rights and Education Act. We would push through that in New York, and if we could not push through that from a legislative perspective, I would sign it from an executive perspective. The good news is we have the Department of Education under me as governor. I'm going to make sure that our chancellor and those who were appointed in the Department of Education at the top level have the same type of philosophy that I do and so many conservatives do in this country, which is parents need to be, absolutely need to be the primary stakeholder in our kids' education. Monica, I'll tell you one more thing when yeah. it comes to an education standpoint. Uh, if you actually look at the United Nations, I can't believe I'm quoting this on your show, but bear with me for a second. <laughs> if you look at the United Nations uh, code of Human Rights. This goes back to 1948. In Article 46, Section, I can't believe now if it's Section 2 or Section 3, they actually talk about the parent having the fundamental right of education in their child's uh, education. Not the state, not the country, it is the parent. So I would urge everybody to look it up. I know that would mean giving the United Nations a click, but I do think it's worth that in terms of actually having that piece of information. Andrew, I would be remiss if I did not allow for one more question because this gentleman usually assists me with co-hosting in my spaces, but he's working along with the rest of, you know, happy Americans who have jobs. Uh, So I wanted to allow Chris to ask you a question. Chris, what's your question for Andrew? Hey, Andrew. um, Thanks so much for taking, Monica, thanks for taking my question. Um, And Andrew, you know, I, I love your dad. Um, great, great guy. Um, hey, question as it relates to New York, Barry, Barry Weiss in her book, um, where she talked about this movement to push, uh, I'm a girl dad, right? I have a daughter, um, and this movement to push these girls into transition, um, therapy and hormones, um, with these gender identity laws and things. Um, she talks about how, um, Planned Planned Parenthood makes more revenue now in New York and other blue areas with these laws on the books from transition hormone therapy treatment than actual, you know, they talked about, you know, obviously previously selling, um, you know, these fetuses and things of the sorts. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was stunned by that, 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 that this is their number one revenue making now, uh, these little girls that are getting pushed into these, into these treatments. Um, so my question is, as governor or, you know, even in your race as governor, um, what can what do you see the state being able to do to stop that in its tracks before we go down this dark road and protect um, our daughters? Yeah, well, I look at it and certainly as somebody who's a father to a daughter now myself, I could imagine if she would be, you know, introduced this at five, six, seven years old. I think this is very simple, right? If somebody wants to transition or do whatever they want past 18 years of age, I don't think the state should be involved in that. We certainly shouldn't fund that, uh, but the state should not be involved. You could do whatever you want with your body. I think the state should not have a say in that. But at 17 years and 364 days or younger, I believe that that's child abuse to be teaching that to a child, to be pushing that to a child right there. And we would hold those who were doing that accountable, whether it's actually in the Department of Education, whether it is Planned Parenthood like this, and we would take all legal action that we possibly could to make sure that our children aren't introduced to this hypersexualization at an early age. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're teaching them heterosexuality or homosexuality at five, six years old. This is something that should be on the curriculum, period. And the fact you have to ask yourself, if people are so concerned with making sure that we're teaching sexualization to a child of five or six years old, what are their motives? Where right. are they coming from on this? Right. It's, it's honestly one of the most disgusting things. And this should not be a red or a blue issue. This is simply a right or a wrong issue on this. This is, uh, this is beyond disgusting to me, and it's personal to me now. As somebody right. who is a parent, it is personal to me. So I will make sure that we hold them accountable. We'll make sure that under the age of 18 years old that we end up prosecuting that, figure out how to prosecute that as child abuse. Sure. Andrew, I have, I have just a few more questions for me personally. Okay. 
Um, what has been your reception of people on the left who you've encountered with your candidacy? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, look, we, we have the people that come up to us and say their choice words, the other four letter, uh, the yeah. four letter F word, <laughs> not the five letter F word, if you will. Uh, but I think this is one of the most amazing things. Uh, and we've seen this in poll after poll after poll. Uh, my, the other Republicans who are running, none of them cracked 15% when they polled Democrats in terms of crossing over party lines. For us, the last three polls that have come out have had us at 26, 27, and 27% support for Democrats. And I think that's because we are coming through with such a clear message on what we'll do. We're genuine from where this comes from. This is not being owned by a politician in any other kind of way. But I think more than anything, you have parents from across the aisle that are looking and saying, you know what? The gifted and talented program is being taken away from in New York by Democrats, not by Republicans. Maybe I will vote for a Republican because I want my child to have that option. I'm now the senior. The governor is now the government is now the senior partner in my relationship from an economic standpoint. That's done by Democrats, not Republicans. Maybe I will consider voting for them or. Crime has, tri- has doubled over the last three years. Uh, who's been at the helm over those last three years? Sure. It's been de Blasio, Cuomo, and all of their you know, right. crazy lefties. Right. Uh, maybe, we, maybe we need to go for somebody who's going to be more conservative from that standpoint. He's actually got a plan to make sure we clean up these streets. That's so right. uh, long, long answer short. Uh, we're seeing a very strong reception from Democrats and independents. Excellent. I figured you would because suffering is a very unique uh, equalizer, right? And uh, and people forget that. People get caught up in the partisanship of it. I'm like, no, no, no. If you'll just pay attention to your demographics, people are suffering equally across the board. Uh, and so, you know, and if you were ever going to tug on someone's emotions, you would certainly start with your pocketbook uh, and their children, for sure. So that's good to know that people are awakening, too. That's why I wanted to ask you that, because... Um, you know, I'm curious and, and I ask all candidates that what has been your reception? Are you in fact reaching across that aisle? Because people use that as a selling point and campaign mailer. Uh, but ultimately they end up preaching to their own choirs and their own boring, pearl clutching Republican, you know, silos. And those days, I think we have a prime opportunity to actually do what we say we want to do, which is poach from the left and actually bring people together in this nation, which is really what we need to do, not just a campaign talking point. My final question for you, sir is what was your father's reception to your announcement? Hey, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Hold on. We might have him in, in the room over no here. No way. Uh, they, one second. Uh, so, hey, they're asking what my, what your reception to my uh, announcement was. Do you want to come and answer the question? It's like a Giuliani Bogo. Yes. Or, or, this is live, right? We can have a This is totally live. live. Come on. Come on. Exactly. Look, you know, I, I may have more hair, but that's because you've got a little bigger brain than I do. So we need to actually... Make room. He was having pizza. He's a New Yorker, so we gotta I give love him a second it. over here. Oh my Hold goodness! On we'll, okay, we'll put him right on over here. Here, you Take never know what you're gonna put get on my show. Ear. Right here, your right ear. Okay, this well, is yeah, awesome. Prefers his right ear. <laughs> Funny enough. Hold on. Oh, hello, sir. <laughs> okay. How are you? I am so excellent now that you're sitting in front of the camera. I can't believe I get two Giuliani's in one afternoon. I had no idea this was going to happen. (laughs) So my question, sir, was what was your response to your son's candidacy? Well, first of all, I think he's just the right person because he has the the dedication and the stick-to-itiveness to get this job done. You know, uh, a lot of these people, not all of them, but particularly Zeldin, is sort of a typical Albany politician. He's going to make promises. He's not going to do it. Uh, You know, we see that with his statement that Cuomo would have made a great uh, president. Come on. And uh, then we saw what they did with the challenges uh, today. I mean, that was a totally fraudulent process. The last thing we need are Republicans that act like Democrats. Right. And they file like 2,000, 3,000 false statements to try to get somebody off the ballot. So Andrew is he's a non-politician. He doesn't operate like a politician. Politicians operate by telling you what you want to hear and then not doing it. The way, like say, Mayor Adams did when he was running. You know, I'm going to crack down on crime. But all of a sudden, there's 40% more crime since he's been in office. Right. Andrew will do exactly 
what he says. On day one, he's got to, I have no doubt, he will fire Brand. And he will immediately start working endlessly and obsessively on getting bail reform change. That's the way he is, and that's why right. I support him. Uh, it's not just because he's my son, because I, I love this state, I love this city. I want to see it reformed, I want to see it changed, and I have great confidence that he is the one person that can really do it. He'll actually get it done. Sure. Well, he certainly has that in his bloodline, sir, as as most people know you by your history. Yeah. Always been like that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, yes. And, and I, you know, some people would say that, um, well, how could that be true that Andrew is not a lifetime or career politician because he was raised by politicians? Uh, but, but I think that's actually, um, a plus, uh, a feather in his cap, if you will, uh, to have seen how someone such as yourself brought the city of New York from complete ruin, uh, to a place where we could actually come and enjoy our, you know, our nation's apple, right? If you will. So, yeah. The the idea of, are you experienced, not experienced? Gosh, I mean, it's broken both ways. We have in the white house right now. One of the most experienced people in American politics. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Right. So what good is it that he's experienced? Right. Uh, and then we've had we've elected people like you know John Kennedy. The, the, the objection was he was too young. Turned out to be a very good president. Uh, he pretty close to the same age as Teddy Roosevelt when Teddy Roosevelt was elected governor of the state. Right. He was one of our great governors, one of our great presidents. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence at 27 years old. <laughs> I mean, people people develop differently. They're ready for challenges at different ages. He, he should be evaluated based on what he's saying. Right. Do people agree with it? And do they have the confidence that will carry it out? That's right. That's right. Let me ask you something while I have you in the hot seat, Mr. Giuliani. So do you think we will actually see a red wave across the country in the midterms um, or, you know, or do we have misplaced hope in that? Where are we? Like you just mentioned the person residing or taking up space in the white house or in front of the green screen or whatever he's doing. Something went wrong with the, okay. with the transmission. Oh, here. I'm not, I'm not able to hear you. Uh Oh, that would be on Andrew's side. I will, I'll let Andrew you figure that out. We'll have to. Okay. So we're having trouble with the audio over here. Okay. It must have been the Democrats that finally came in. They, they heard that. They heard that five, that five letter F word. Exactly. But uh, we really look forward to being with you. Thank you, Monica. And, so much. And I look so. forward to doing it again here soon. I'd love to do an interview with you again. Oh, that'd be great. I would love that, sir. Absolutely. And thank you for Mark making the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Excellent. The part that I could hear was great. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Andrew. We look forward to having you back. And Mr. Giuliani, Sr., we would love to have you as well. Thank you both very much, and God bless your efforts. Okay, gosh. Wow. That was hilarious. So you never know what you're going to get on my show, ever. Uh, I've had stranger things happen, but I had no idea that uh, that Rudy Giuliani would end up on the show today, and that's excellent. We will uh, absolutely invite him back. I'm sure you guys have lots of questions for uh, Mr. Giuliani, but, you know, I hope that encourages um, you guys. I, I hope that, uh, and, and not even necessarily. You don't have to. Again, you don't have. You don't have to live in New York. But here's why it encourages me. It encourages me because people are still willing to get into the muck and mire for this country. And if you don't think that politics are is just a stench cesspool of muck and mire. I don't know what else is. And so it's not a matter of chew the meat, spit out the spit out the bones, pick the, you know, the better of the two evils. I'm not looking at it like that. As you all know, if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm more of a kingdom principle person. And um and with that, I that's how exactly how I saw President Trump. And I never wavered from that, to be honest with you. I always knew that God could use whoever he wanted to. And he did. And for whatever reason, we've gone into captivity. But I got to tell you, I think once we come out of captivity, we will be a much better nation for it. And I meant what I said about suffering being the great, the great, I love it, the great equalizer, because it is. It just is. And you military folks know what I'm talking about. 
when you go to a military town, there's no distinction between the haves and the have-nots. You're very rarely faced with bigotry as it pertains to the residents and everyday community people living, right? When you're on a battlefield with each other, you're not really concerned about the you know social engineering issues of the day, right? You're just trying to make sure that you that you make it through the battle, and the man next to you who you're accountable to and for makes it through that battle. And so, I'd like to think that as a nation, that's where we are. And I cannot stress that enough. When I refer to liberals or Democrats. As a media personality, I'm referring to other people who are, quote, my equals in my industry and people who are making horrible policy decisions around the country. I am not referring to my everyday countrymen and women around me who are equally suffering like the rest of us, who equally love their children just like we do, who equally know what biology is right, who equally want to be able to prosper and go to the grocery store and not have the threat with the threat of being murdered or carjacked. These folks are just like us. And whenever you have kingdom eyes, you're able to see things through those eyes in a way that are nonpartisan. So I want to pour that into you guys that you too will begin to see things through kingdom eyes, right? Because the partisanship and the national eyes only has gotten us to where we are today, in my humble opinion. So I I thank all of you guys in my Twitter space for for participating today. That was lovely. I love being able to hear your voices and have you guys chime in. Prodigal Suzanne, all of you guys, thank you very much for chiming in. For those of you who are listening via podcast, um, I know that you're like, who are all these people? Like, you know, we sound like one big happy family because kind of we are. You know, most who are the insomniacs are up at three in the morning. The people on the left coast are up at four in the morning hosting spaces. Again, I keep pushing Twitter spaces because it's a really cool place for you to go and hear other people's ideas through their own voices, not mine and not people's fingertips, but their actual voices, right? And that's important. That's important to rebuilding this nation. And I believe we're going to be called to rebuild. And so if you can get your head and transcend out of the mayhem down here on the battlefield and get above it and, and get out of the fray, get, get that thirty to 50,000 foot kingdom view, your life will be better. Your life will be more peaceful. You will be more apt to make friends with people and acquaintances with people, open dialogue with people you may not other otherwise open a dialogue with. Um, and that's, that's what life is all about. It's not just about being an American. That's what life is all about, right? It's pe- it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's life more abundant. And we can do that even with $8 gas prices. We have to make adjustments. And in my humble opinion, we have been taken into captivity. But I think that's, been, I think that's happening with a very uh, distinct purpose quite honestly. So speaking of insomnia, ta-da, you knew I was going here, right? Because my pillow, 66% off up to <laughs> Mother's Day is coming up too. <laughs> you guys should absolutely bless the socks off of your wives, girlfriends, fiancés, whatever. We love house slippers and robes and new sheets and towels and all that girly stuff. And, you know, if you've been following my tweets at all, you know, I'm getting on to the dudes who love to have you host people with sour towels and sour clothes and stuff. Time to invest in some new towels. So there you go. Mypillow.com code Monica code Monica. Also, here's my other partnership that I'm very proud of. And that's with gold co Monica Matthews.com backslash gold co find out about how to protect your precious, hard-earned resources. We heard from people yesterday in my, on my show via the spaces who have you know written $5,000 checks to the government this year that they didn't write last year, right? Imagine, I mean, I'm, I'm talking with people who are having to siphon off from their savings and, and they're watching the stock market taking antacids like Tic Tacs because, and they're on anti-anxiety medication because they don't know what's going to happen to their retirement. 
And I believe that this is one vehicle in order for you to, that provides a way for you to um, securely maintain your assets. So monicamatthews.com backslash gold co and a representative will reach out to you with all of the information you could ever want. So without further ado, I want to leave you with this. Um, I'm going to read something to you guys. Okay, I'm going to read this to you because all the politics in the world and all that stuff don't make a hill of beans if you do not have, hold on, if you do not have the author of our freedom and our liberty. I wasn't going to do this, so give me a second. I was going to save this for my Bible study, which is starting tomorrow. For those of you who have not signed up yet, naughty little heathens, uh, you can do so at sending me an email at monicatmonicamatthews.com and I will add you to the list. And we have fun and we have freedom and we have breakthroughs and we have reconnection and we have rest. And some of your souls are really weary. And I know because I hear from you and I see your tweets and I see your Facebook posts. And so I have a very exciting announcement to make about Facebook posts that I'm going to wait and announce tomorrow uh, because then it will be ready for you. But, okay, we'll talk about that tomorrow. All right, here we go. King David was one of the most, as you know, profound kings ever, right? And he was a man after God's own heart. Just like Abraham was a friend to God, David was a man after God's own heart. And David did some pretty messed up stuff, as y'all know, okay? But as we're talking about confidence, those of you who follow me on Twitter, you may have noticed that I tweeted something today. And thank you to Wayne Dupree and Kim Klasick and others who have uh, retweeted that. I appreciate it. Uh, encouraging you all not to ever allow someone else to dictate what your worth is, whether that's on a professional level or speaking of worth, I've still got my gold up, whether that's on a professional level or personal level, don't ever give someone that power or a national level because right now we are the laughing stock really of the world. We just are. That's part of the humiliation of going into captivity. In in humiliation, you know, if you look at the glass half full, can lead you to humility, which is something our nation could use more of, in my humble opinion. Because God exalts the nation that humbles itself, right? And with all of our trying and all of our might and all of our pride, and all of our ingenuity and all of our manipulation of, you know, financial markets based on a fiat that doesn't even really exist. Talked about that yesterday. If you missed that show, you should go back and listen. Um, Humility is something that catches the eyes and the ears and the heart of the God of Liberty. And so if we want to emerge from this without being dependent upon the arm of man to ever save us or a bicameral decision to save us or partisanship of any nature or laws and policy to keep us free and to keep us safe and to rebuild the foundations of this country. If we want to subvert all of that frail futility of counting on anything but the God of creation, I think a really good place to start is with humility and placing our confidence in the right place and our worth, right? Our worth as a nation, I say this to you guys all the time, our greatest resources are you, right? You, my dears, are America's greatest resource. Not gold, not silver, not this beautiful land, nothing, not oil, not our ingenuity, not our military industrial complex, you, you are this country's greatest asset. And I hope to really drive that into your heart more with every show and every Bible study. 
Remember, go sign up. We start tomorrow, 7.30 to 9, and we have really cool guests who come on. Uh, Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll have Mr. Giuliani come on to our Bible study. That would be hilarious and awesome. I would so welcome him. Uh, Okay, I'm going to read this, but confidence in God is how we climb out of this hellhole that we're living in right now called American humility. You ready? Confidence in God, Psalm 92. David says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. From him, from him, from him, from him, not the Republican Party, not candidates, not the Democrats, not policy, not laws, not the military. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Notice he said greatly, right? Because there are some things going on that just move us. And some of you have defense attorneys right now because of the lawlessness of others. Some of you in my space, I see you. Some of you are having to defend your very lives and freedom, right? But don't forget, you have the greatest defense in all of creation. And he sees your false accusers and he promises you and he promises us as a nation that our false accusers will be contended with according to his timeline and in his manner. Right? That's something that we can hang our hopes on. And he is the God of hope. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be, and as a tottering fence. I mean, gosh, what does that sound like? Sounds like our border. Uh, They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. He sounds like he's talking about people from the South. Uh, My soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. And my refuge is in who? God. Trust in him at all times. Ye people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So for those people who tell you that you have to go through someone else in order to get to God, I don't know what Bible they're reading from, but it's not this one. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They're altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. America. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his work. I'm sharing that with you for a couple of reasons. One, to encourage you. Two, to set the scales straight. Because justice does not seem to be prevailing in this country right now. Justice seems to be molested and maligned right now. Justice is not blind right now. We have federal judges interfering with state elections. That's a problem. With state electors, that's a problem. Representing a voice of a body of people that they do not represent legislatively, rather supposedly judiciously, that's a problem, right? So this word is the rock upon which you can put your confidence. Whenever you go to rebuild your communities, whenever you're building with the kingdom in mind and not just the United States of America, but you're occupying your territory here in the United States of America as a citizen, as someone who is grateful for this country, grateful for the blood that's been spilled, grateful for due process, grateful for our constitution, someone who's building upon the the foundation that other men and women have died for us to curate while we're here in this dispensation. If you're going to rebuild on that and you don't rebuild with this word, you are building in vain. If we haven't seen that by now, we never will. And you know it. This isn't religion. This is life. This is life more abundantly. And I will never apologize for this word. And I'm not going to add to it. 
and I'm not going to take away from it. You know why? Because our freedom depends on it. And so, do your, so does yours. So I want to encourage you. Be encouraged. God sees all. He sees all. And the days of reckoning are right now. The days of judgment are right now. And you see it happening all around. So don't lose heart, even though it appears as though we have lost the nation that we thought we had. And reality sucks sometimes, you guys. But you can't move forward without the proper coordinates of where you are. Right? So it's important to understand where we are so we can move forward. All right. I'm out of here. I love you guys. What an awesome show, right? What a great surprise. I had no idea that both Giuliani's would show up today. Thanks, Cam. (laughs) All right. Talk to you guys later. Go follow me everywhere. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I have really cool stuff coming up with my new, uh, my new production company. Can't wait to share it with you in the coming days. Be good to your neighbor beginning with your own mirror. And if you're an American, act like one. I just hope your heart's full. Oh, 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 oh